I'm telling you, I know we usually try not to have wine before an episode because we're about to down two bottles. I'm so glad we had a glass of wine today, tonight. We needed it. I, yes. This has been a very long day. And it's been a trying Monday. It has been a trying Monday. It's been a trying last few weeks. Mm-hmm. It's been a trying month. Yeah, so far, 2019, I'm not feeling not it. Not so great. <laughs> not feeling it. <laughs> Which I know totally counteracts everything we were saying in the last episode. But it's true. But if you guys only knew uh, yeah. the things that have been going on the last couple of weeks, it's and just... We'll tell you all a little bit. We'll go into it some We'll more. go into it a little bit. Um, but it's... Because it, part of it very directly relates to the wine, and it's a... We'll get to yeah. it. Yeah. But this, I feel... You know, honestly, I am hoping that... All of this shit can just happen in January, God, and the rest of the year can just be going up, and personal shit will just level out. You yeah, know, that's the hope. That's, that's the, the dream. Hope. That's the hope. That's the dream. I know that's like everyone's hope and dream, but you know, God, I hope it's the case. I guess, sorry, depressing uh, beginning of the podcast. Sorry, y'all. But no, it's real life. I mean, it is you know real what? life, but real like, life's depressing. Real life is depressing. Like real life throws shit at you, and you just have to drink find- wine. <laughs> Well, I mean, yes, but what I was going to say is you have to find the things to keep you going. And sometimes having an extra glass of wine is one of those things. And sometimes popping on a podcast or for us, recording an episode. It's just like... It's very cathartic. And it's like, this is what I needed to do. This gets... Yes. It's like... things right, I guess. I don't know. Things have been very rocky, yet we have this as our stable rock. I I, Whatever. I don't know analogies. But... It's our, it's our stability, and we're going to keep it going, and it makes us happy. Absolutely. And so it we can put back all of the shit that's happened. Uh, I hope so. Anyway, with that, hello, everyone. This is Blood and Wine. I'm Tyler. And I'm Brittany. And we did that backwards. We did it backwards, yeah. and it felt weird. And it, I, it did. I, I kind of liked changing it up a bit. Okay. Yeah, I guess we're being fancy now. Yes. Um. But yes, so welcome. We are thoroughly into 2019. Yes. And, um, y'all, we do have some very, very exciting stuff that we want to talk about. And if you follow us on our social media or on Patreon, you you may have seen this. But, y'all, we have a merch store. We have merch. And not only do we have a couple of things, we have, like, ten items. I think we have sixteen in total. That's amazing. Yeah. So I mean, we have t-shirts, t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, sweaters, hoodies, hat, a mug. mug. There's like a water bottle, a tote, a There's duffel a dog bag. bandana if you want your dog to be repping blood and wine. Or if you want to rep blood and wine through a bandana. I, I guess people can wear dog bandanas too. Um, I, you know, we're still working with vendors for wine glasses. That is something mm-hmm. we still really want to do. I know we've mentioned it in the past, but make sure to hop on our website, bloodandwinepodcast.com. You can store. hit our store link it's right there the top at, at the top menu. And y'all, one thing I really love is that I am in love with our logo. Like, Same. completely. <laughs> and we've been working with different vendors and trying to get it realized. Yes. And something that we would not only be proud enough to wear, but proud enough for y'all to wear. Yes. And, you know, we, we've we gone through a couple that I've thought were like, oh, this is perfect. And then it's, and it's, it's just not... not the quality that we want to give y'all. Because, I mean, I know when, when I buy 
merch or when mm-hmm. I buy I'm like, I want this to be good quality. I don't want something that's going to fade or tear or whatever. And y'all, the partners we're working with are incredible. Yeah. The quality is amazing. And you can wear a Blood and Wine logo. Yes. And if you're super, super into it, mm-hmm. we have onesies. We do. Which are adorable. We do have onesies. We've made sure to have the onesies on it because if I had a baby, it would wear a Blood and Wine onesie. Also... Once this episode comes out, there's just a few days left. Yes. Right now, we are doing a 15% off coupon. And it's like a welcome. Our merch store is live. It is a two-week coupon, but like Tyler was saying, at this point in time, there's a week left it or thereabouts. until February 3rd, I want to say. I think it's something like that. I, yeah. So 15% is a really good coupon. Go on, mm-hmm. um, choose your favorite blood and wine merch, maybe buy a couple of things. Yeah. And, you know, thank you so much for your support. We know you guys have been Absolutely. wanting merch and we're and so excited to finally have it for you. If there are different designs or quotes or anything like that that y'all would love to see, let us know. And we can absolutely work with our partners and get that to you. Absolutely. So another thing, I know we've talked about Patreon in every single episode. It's true. But um, if you haven't checked out our Patreon, it is an area that um, y'all can support us. And we give you little incentives. And I was about to say tchotchkes, and that's so not the right word. (laughs) (laughs) What? What we is a tchotchke? You, we send you little tchotchkes. It's like a trinket. It's like a little like collectible. Like like you know, a little grandma? Yeah, like tchotchkes that you have in like the cabinet. Oh. In like a display cabinet. Like those, those are my tchotchkes that <laughs> like, I got yeah. from traveling. You know, occasionally and... we'll send you a piece of crystal. <laughs> no. No. We, we don't do we that. We won't do that. But we have different th- different levels that our Patreon supporters um, receive different things. You know, maybe a shout out on social, a thank you note from us handwritten. Tchotchkes. I'm still stuck on <laughs> He's just sitting over here laughing. <laughs> One thing we wanted to let you guys know, for our top level, our Cabernet Sauvignon Convicts, we will now be including a a Blood and Wine sticker. Yes. Um, And these are perfect. We'll put pictures on our Patreon, and we'll put them on social as well. Yes. And these stickers are exclusive to Patreon. Yes. Um, We have a limited supply, um, and it's something that we're not going to put on our store. It's a special little something to have that... You know, to show your awesomeness to everyone. Well, and I don't know about you. I love stickers. Oh, like if, have I, you seen my laptop? I have. <laughs> there, it's covered in stickers. And speaking of, we both now have blood wine stickers on our laptops. But um, for those of you who are already Cabernet Sauvignon convicts, we're going to be sending y'all stickers. Yes. So don't worry. You're not going to miss out. We want to make sure that you get this exclusive offer. But, um, you know... For those of you how, who have helped support us on Patreon, you guys, I, I'm sure you can tell our sound is a little bit better now. Mm-hmm. We have professional microphones. We have two new MacBook Airs that yes, which, are all because of your support. It's um, So y'all may remember how we uh, talked about our Google Pixel books. I believe I posted a picture of it on Instagram. I think yeah. we didn't mention it in the episode because it was the first one. Or maybe we did. I think, I think we did. Um, so... Just caveat, we are using MacBook Airs yes. now. Um, the Google Pixelbooks, while they are great. And amazing. They're a phenomenal product. Amazing laptops. Turns out um, there are just a couple podcasting stuff that is 
more difficult with the OS software that we didn't realize. So nothing against them. They're absolutely wonderful laptops. It literally broke my heart to return those. They were so beautiful. So gorgeous. So light. And I mean, I've been a MacBook user for years. I know you're Mm. relatively new um, because you now have one at work. But I've loved Macs. And so it's something I'm a lot more comfortable with. So we we got them and I automatically am like, oh, okay, we can do this, 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 and this. Yeah. Um, but thank you. This yes. is all because of your love and support. It's because of, I mean, we, we couldn't be doing this and couldn't be having this incredible experience without all of you. Yeah. So, and on that note, don't forget to subscribe. Yes. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're really big on Podbean, as Tyler likes to remind Podbean. everyone. Podbean. <laughs> Stitcher. Spotify. Um, Player FM, apparently. Player That's FM. That's We have submitted our podcast to Pandora. So yes. we'll let you guys know once we are accepted. We're in the middle of the review process right now. I didn't realize Pandora had podcasts now. Me neither. But I also, before we started ours, didn't realize that Spotify did pop podcast well it's new oh it's it's not something they've had for very long so anyway but make sure you subscribe yes so changing the subject just a little bit because i'm very excited to talk about this uh yes our current news update y'all unsolved mysteries is coming to netflix and my childhood is just like running in my head right now. Like yes. I'm so excited. We grew up on this show. That was something that I think by the time I, gosh, I don't remember if I watched it when it was on Lifetime or when it was actually on like NBC or ABC or whatever it was. I don't um, remember. I know I did watch it also on Lifetime. Oh, but I know I, was a I did big too. Lifetime fan, as we've I mean, discussed earlier. And who isn't for real? Like though. seriously though. <laughs> um, but unsolved mysteries, y'all. Honestly, I would probably say that as far as first foray into true crime, that was absolutely it. Well, and Robert Stack, like his voice uh, is permanently rest in peace. yes, rest in peace. His voice is permanently stuck in my head. Yes, and I will never forget it. And okay, I have an unsolved mysteries story that I'm going to tell. Is it the one that I know about Daddy? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> oh, I God. feel like it's perfect. It so, is. um, I was. Very young. I mean, maybe 12 or so when I, you know, and like I said, I literally grew up watching Unsolved Mysteries. So I was really young and I saw this episode. Side note for those, I don't think I've ever mentioned this. Aliens really freak me out. Like there is something about them that it scares me. As in Signs to me is one of the scariest movies I've ever really? seen. Yes. That uh, one scene where the alien walks by on the video. I'd like the kid's birthday video. party. Yeah. Yes. And Walking Phoenix sees it and he like gasps. I like screamed. Like Oh my god. Horrifying. Okay. Also, maybe I have mentioned this, but I don't whatever. know. Aliens don't scare me. I'm just like, yeah, they're probably out there doing their thing. I know. And but movies like Men in Black, which there's another one coming out, by the way, I'm super excited about. Yes. Movies like that don't freak me out. Well, Science I mean, different, scared the different shit out of, of me. Aliens, Independence but... Day scared the shit out of me. Okay. Anyways, sure. so I'm watching an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, and it is about Puerto Rico and mm-hmm. the Jupacabra. And at this time, our dad was on a business trip in Puerto Rico. And so I'm terrified. I'm so scared that my dad's not going to come home. I didn't want to say anything to my mom because I thought I sounded stupid, which looking back, kind of did. But whatever. I mean, but also you're a 12 year old. I was a 12 year old or thereabouts. And I remember he came back and I was so relieved, but I never said anything. It's like I kept it all bottled up, you know, classic me, bottled up the emotions. But yeah. 
so that's <laughs> but seriously though the the reenactment with like the beady red no, eyes I, and like the tooth I that's like a episode, like a reverse unicorn horn but i also have to say that first off that you but you're not going to comment on my reverse unicorn horn <laughs> no. because that was a really really good no i you just i passed just, right i am it. going to pass right by <laughs> but uh first off chupacabra is not an alien it's a cryptid it's like bigfoot or the yeti or something literally little, beady red eyes dude. to me tells alien okay, okay well, all right, all so, right. but okay. So, we're so excited. Do you yes. remember how many cases have been solved? So We um, looked it up yesterday. Yeah, we looked it up when we saw that it was coming back. And also, while when we saw that, immediately I went to YouTube to play the theme song, which is like three minutes long, and I did not realize. And amazing. It, it's true. Um, but I think it said they had like over a thousand cases on it. And the ones that involved missing people or people of interest, about half of them were solved. And... Which- that hotline is still open. So if you yeah. watch old episodes, like, because I'm really imagining people are going back now that Netflix is revamping it mm-hmm. um, or rebooting it. it to binge it. If you see something and you're like, oh, shit, my mom told me about this. Call that number. It's still active. Yeah. And I, not a big fan of TV and stuff. This is different. This, this is, is. This is very different. Yes. Because it's. Also, where Matthew McConaughey got his acting start. It is. Yeah, we found that out because there was a list of like 20 things you didn't know about Unsolved Mysteries. And most of the things I was like, I'm pretty sure everyone knows that. <laughs> like, the series was known for its creepy theme song. And I'm like, well, yeah. yeah. I know. <laughs> okay. I kind yeah, of want to make it my uh, ringtone. Oh, okay. I mean, are you going to do it? No, I figured you would have our blood and wine theme as your ringtone. That's fine. I, it's I'm, I, Whatever. It's whatever. You don't. Yeah, I don't ever use my ringtone i just have my phone on vibrate so anyways super excited about unsolved mysteries coming back yeah but tell me about the topic yes so this topic is i mean i'm going to do a brief overview because to be honest this topic is so incredibly detailed and so sensitive as are a lot of the topics we discuss but this week we are talking about sexually motivated murders yes um i used a couple of sources in my research on this topic Psychology Today, the FBI's website, a paper titled Sexual Homicide, a Synthesis of the Literature by Hennig Chuan Oliver and Chan Kathleen Hyde from the University of South Florida in Tampa. Uh, They wrote it in 2009. Nice. And then I also um, found some information on a website called Victims of Crime. They had a stat report uh, about sexual violence that I read. So just starting on a little bit of a broader topic, um, sexual violence obviously is something that encompasses a variety variety of criminal acts Mm -hmm. um, from threats to unwanted advances to rape and it is widely recognized that sexual violence is underreported absolutely um, because there's this stigma associated with those crimes because of that stigma it's often very difficult to measure sexual violence in an official statistic yeah because of how many go unreported other difficulties are you know there's the definitions of sexual assault in different states um and the reporting requirements of of you know local state national yeah it's all different so when it comes to sexual homicide uh, it's heavily studied however it's very unclearly defined mm. and um therefore it's you know it's actually a lot rarer than I thought. Yeah. Um, huh. Well, I guess I guess it would depend on the definition. I can see it I know. being a smaller number than if it was something much broader that you would you would normally associate with like 
um, sexually motivated murders. I know. When you think of, you know, the uh, multiple serial killers we've talked about who get sexual gratification through murdering someone, you know, that is a sexual homicide, but it seems as if it's a different branch of the sexual homicide tree. So... In the research oh. that I found in 2004, sexual homicide accounted for approximately 1.1% of 14,121 U.S. murders mm-hmm. in which the murder circumstances were known. And it's been a fairly stable figure over the years. Oh. However, in Canada, it was reported that about 4% of their overall homicide rate between 1974 and 1986, so a 12-year period, mm-hmm. had clear evidence of sexual elements. Um, that's obviously a very sharp difference in the yeah. countries, but it could be just because of these because distinctive of the, classifications. Yeah, in because what, of the differences in yep. what actually the definition is. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when it comes to um, the definition here in the United States of sexual violence, according to the ICD-10, which is the International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems 10th Revision. Okay, that's a... <laughs> That's easy to remember. It's a ICD-10. ICD-10. Um, sexual sadism, which is what a lot of the killers who um, kill for sexual gratification and whatnot, they're sexual sadists. But to be classified as that, um, which sexual sadism, for those who don't know, it's the preference for a sexual activity which involves the infliction of pain or humiliation oh, or bondage. Fuck. In order to be diagnosed with sexual as a sexual sadist in the U.S., you must meet two different criteria. So the first one, over a period of at least six months, recurrent, intense, sexually arousing fantasies, sexual urges, or behaviors involving acts, real, not simulated, in which the psychological or physical suffering, including humiliation, of the victim is sexually exciting to the person. So if you're doing things, you're envisioning things of someone being like hurt or humiliated, and that makes you sexually excited, that's one of the circumstances. Hmm. The second is the person must have acted on these sexual urges with a non-consenting person or the sexual urges or fantasies caused marked distress or interpersonal difficulty. So, you know, there are people who are into like BDSM and yeah. that and the whatnot. That's not that's not the same yeah. as a sexual sadist. Okay. The majority of serial killers, which, again, we've discussed numerous occasions, they are sexually motivated. And they eroticized violence during their development. And for them, like, the violence and the sexual gratification, they're intertwined in their psyche. God. And sexually based is a motivation driven by the sexual needs and desires of the offender. So there may or may not be overt sexual contact reflected in the crime scene, but Mm. it was there in their... Um, motivation. Okay. And I forgot to mention this when I was talking about my sources. One of the things that I found on the FBI's website was a published paper called Serial Murder, Multidisciplinary Perspectives for Investigators by the Behavioral Analysis Unit. Oh, that's also easy to remember. Honestly, I saved the PDF on my desktop because I want to read it. It's like 71 pages, Mm. but it's really interesting it's very like mind hunter yeah um john douglas esque it's that was the behavioral unit that he worked in so it's the evolution of of his work that he started i say all that to say like i said this is an extremely extremely heavy topic and um it encompasses a wide variety of murders depending on how you define Mm -hmm. sexual homicide and so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how we took 
yes. took this topic and what angles we, we went with it. Okay. Especially with how many murders we've already discussed that did have yeah. um, sexual motivations. Yeah, that's true. One thing before I jump into the wine that I want to mention first is that we picked the topic a long time before we picked the wine. So this is an episode where they very much do not go together. No, there um, is absolutely no correlation with the wine and the topic. Because uh, um, I just felt I had to say that. And you'll see why in just a no, second. No, I think that was a really, yeah. really astute thing to um, say. So we, you know, one of the things that um, has been difficult the past couple weeks is our uh, granddaddy recently passed away. Yes. And um, it was good to see the whole family. Thankfully, Brittany and I got to go up there for a full week. Right. Um, and work remotely, but be there with the family and mm-hmm. just, I don't know, be together. So that was good. Well, and, you know, we talk about loss in every single episode. Yeah. And when when it's something that happens in your personal life, it just... It makes everything even more real. Yes. And it does. I, I don't, it just, it, it makes it super real. So yeah. like Ty is saying, it's been a pretty difficult um, last few weeks. It has been. But on the, I guess, funnier stuff, I think it's a funny story. So I do too. I think it's a great story. didn't drink really at Not all. Not much. I saw um, him drink a, literally less than a handful of beers in the, my entire yeah. lifetime. Yeah. And so, but the family as a whole, like for Christmas, we'd always do margaritas. We always spent every Christmas um, at our grandparents' place. I would love it when he would just like hand you a 20 and be like, go to the liquor store, get some more tequila. (laughs) Or he'd hand you like a hundred thinking it's that much. We're like, no, no, it's like 10 bucks. We're getting Jose Cuervo. Like, come on. And and we always got Jose Cuervo. We did. We never tried any other tequila. It was Jose Cuervo gold. Mm. And we would get the bucket margarita mix. It was, but that was. (sighs) That was what we did. That was what we did. Yeah. And so, you know, after he passed away, we were at, um, we were at his house. We were going through some things and, you know, I was up on a step stool in the pantry mm-hmm. and saw probably twenty bottles of liquor and was like, um, <laughs> all, "What? All, all of them from like?" <laughs> there was a bottle of like Jack Daniel's Green. Didn't know that was ever a thing that was made. No, I have a. I there was a bottle of um, gin of yeah of gin that was from I think the seventies or eighties and had to have been. Two bottles of sparkling wine, one of which is from the early 80s. We're not sure yet because they didn't date their wine yet. Yep. And the other is from 1986. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the the two wines, it, the first one's from the early 80s is a Christian Brothers California Champagne. And the one from 86 is an Andre Blush Pink Champagne. <laughs> which if you all don't know, Andre's like a $4 bottle. <laughs> Christian Brothers, I have never heard of it in I my life. Either. But um, just a little background, because Christian Brothers actually is a really cool background. So yeah, it was do. started by a guy named Brother Timothy, who was a member of the Institute of the Brothers of the Christian Schools. Mm-hmm. And they have been vinters, or he's been a vinter. The vineyard's been doing its thing, whatever, since 1882. And it actually was one of the very few places that during Prohibition 
was still producing wine because it was producing wine for the church. Yeah, so yeah, for was, the sacrament. It was legal. Then when Prohibition was repealed, they, you know, began mass producing more wine. But Christian Brothers pretty much jump-started Napa as a wine place. Yeah. Like, it was... And Brother Timothy was, like, the face of it. Yeah. Like, it's basically the driving force that turned Napa Valley into the wine destination it is today. But, um, so we're gonna open this. And just in case y'all are worried for our health, if it comes out and it's brown, we do have backup wine. We have backup wine. But um, another thing we do want to mention, the Christian Brothers Winery is no longer around. Yes. Um, they did sell to, who did they sell to? Uh, the name's like Hueblian or something like that. Hueblian. I'm not I'm sure. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. But yeah, they sold to them in 1989. And they started dating their wine in, I believe, the mid-80s. I think in the mid-80s is when you can find some of their, like, their cab and their Sauvignon Blanc, etc. with a date on it. Yeah, this doesn't have a date on it. So. um, Also, fun fact, our grandparents moved into the house in 1996. So they brought all of this with them. And it was already I think about that. Yeah, I was was like, how is there a bottle of Jack Daniels? That is still half full from like probably the seventies. Well, when they moved, it was twenty years old. They never probably threw anything opened. away. They That's, never threw anything away. That is away. true. So, um, um, but yeah, I'm gonna open this, and I'm very excited to see what a possibly what forty year old bottle <laughs> of champagne looks like. I'm so. It's been stored scared. in. I mean, just upright in a pantry. But <laughs> fun fact. So, in case you y'all didn't know this. Uh, wine shouldn't be stored. <laughs> Is it sticky? It's not sticky. It's there. There was a little bit of residue on the wrapper. Anyway, normal wine bottles that are not under pressure can't be stored upright. They have to be stored on their side to keep the cork wet. And the idea behind bubbly is that I mean it should be stored on its side, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um. It smells like soy sauce got spilled on it. Uh, oh, well, it's so old, the metal little cage around the cork just broke in my hand. So, but anyway, the idea is... Oh, that cork <laughs> came out way too easily. I um, am gonna actually... Let's pour, pour it into a different glass. Yeah, because I don't think we're gonna drink any more than a sip of this. Oh, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> So, in case you're wondering, I did open it. The fact there was no pop is very worrying. Oh, God, I'm scared. Oh, oh. <laughs> that is a scotch color. <laughs> so, um. Oh, are we going to try a sip of it? We're going to get, like, diarrhea. Well. Oh. oh. <laughs> oh. Okay, so, we're not trying a sip of that. It smells so bad. <laughs> <laughs> this is so funny. Hang on. Here, pour a little bit more because I want to take a picture and send it to our family. Okay. So um, if you were ever wondering what rancid um, <laughs> champagne looks like, it looks like scotch and smells like death. But <laughs> It definitely had a very liquory smell. Yeah. It smelled like a... Okay. So we're going to do the Andre I'm gonna bottle. I'm going to open the Andre and I'm scared because I don't even want to know how cheap Andre was in 1986. Um, also... I think we want to get glasses for this as well. All right. So this one, I actually kind of trust a little more because I it's it's a different kind of cork and it seems to be still in there, but we'll see. Here we go. 
Oh, that, that, yep, that's open. So that I'm going to go with is probably going to be bad. <laughs> no pop there. Oh, God, it's like the same color. <laughs> it's that whiskey. All right, I'll smell it. Yeah. Nope. It's the same. It's so bad. Okay, so um, I'm dumping this out. So when you try to save a sparkling wine that is not a very expensive one for over 30 years, it doesn't very well stay. No, it does not. And sometimes the bottle of Andre has black something on the bottom could be mold could be i don't know a sheet of something but we were prepared for this y'all we had a feeling Um, that that those champagnes would not be drinkable so instead we're drinking a brancott estate marlboro sauvignon blanc from new zealand yes um it's a good sauvignon blanc it's very citrusy it, um, it's honestly, very citrusy. It has almost more of a Pinot Grigio profile than what I would expect from a Sauvignon Blanc. Yes. But, so, yes, we did not drink that and will not drink that because we want to live. We do want to live. But, yes, I will make sure to have pictures of all of these wines. Yes. Um, um I guess all three of them. But that was, um... That was scary. That was... Uh, the only thing I can compare it to is a really strong, bad, like, rum. Yes, because it was still sweet, but very much liquor. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Uh, but no, we didn't drink it. We are alive still. So, cheers. So, cheers to Sauvignon Blanc, Blanc that we know is safe. Yes. Yep. That is drinkable. That is... And, and it's from 2017. It is so from 2017. 20... <laughs> you know, a little newer. Not as uh, vintage. Um, that was hilarious and actually went exactly how I imagined. Yeah. I, I don't think I imagine it being brown. Yeah. I imagine it being undrinkable. I imagined I was, I mean, that's why we got extra bottles of wine, knowing that it might be undrinkable. Um, that was an experience. But you know what? We would have never learned about the Christian Brothers and them pretty much, you know, being how Napa got its start, and so, hey, we got that knowledge. So with that, we have our drinkable wine. We have our topic. God, let's let's just dive in. Let's do it. So I will start us off. And we didn't really talk about this at the beginning episode, but our last episode was a draw. And it, you know, so we did collaborate on this topic. And Mm -hmm. again, with the wine, it very much just... Yeah. Fell into place. It it did. Um, Because like we said, we had picked the topic beforehand. So the sources I used were Wikipedia, Independent, The Sun, and Telegraph. So as you can tell, I have a case from England. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Mine is the case of Becky Watts, which is one that's pretty well known in the nation. She was a 16-year-old student who lived in Bristol, England with her dad, Darren Galsworthy, and his wife, Angie, back in 2015. Okay. Becky was last seen at home in Crown Hill, Bristol, on the morning of February 19th, 2015, by her stepmom, Angie. Um, Angie suffered from multiple sclerosis, and she was leaving the house around 11.15 that morning for a hospital appointment. Mm-hmm. Becky wasn't reported missing until around 4 p.m. the following day. She had never oh. she never came home. Maybe she went somewhere. They really weren't sure. Okay. So they reported her missing the next day. You know, this was very out of character for her, um, and her family was just like, this is not right. Like, Becky, something's wrong. 
Yeah. Investigators found out that her phone, laptop, and tablet were missing from the house, but she didn't take any money, no spare clothes. She didn't tell anyone where she was going or that she was going away. So it looked pretty suspicious. Yeah, that doesn't really sound like a teenage runaway. No, it doesn't. Especially not taking an extra pair of clothes or money or, or telling someone yeah telling your friend like oh i'm gonna run away or something yeah exactly on february 22nd avon and somerset police made their first appeal for some information about her disappearance and then the next day her father and grandmother appeared at a press conference asking for her to return gosh Police searches focused on a number of properties in Barton Hill, um, South Mead, St. George's Park, Troopers Hill Nature Reserve, just all the areas around Bristol and where yeah. she lived. And search were all, searches were also made nearby in just some of the open spaces and the parks. They did house-to-house inquiries. They were doing everything they wow. could to try to find where Becky was. Yeah. The initial inquiries focused on the belief that Becky had disappeared after leaving the family home. Her stepbrother, Nathan Matthews, and his girlfriend, Shauna Hore, um, they were saying that they were at the house at the time that she left. They hadn't seen her, but they heard the door slam, and so they just assumed she'd left the house. Yeah. No big deal. Whatever. Um, there was an online campaign that was started using the hashtag FindBecky. It was launched all over so- social And it reached more than 2 million people worldwide. So it stretched very far trying to bring Becky back home safe. But unfortunately, it was too late. On February 28th, Nathan and Shauna were arrested in connection with Becky's disappearance. And on March 2nd, they were rearrested on the suspicion of murder. Oh. Police had found receipts from B&Q, which is a store there in Bristol, which included a circular saw goggles and a face mask which led them to believe that nathan had dismembered the body oh my gosh the very next day on march 3rd becky's dismembered body was found at a property on in barton court barton hill so they're just outside bristol gosh and on the fourth so the day after the body was found nathan was charged with the murder on the 6th, so I'm just going through a quick little timeline yeah. before I get into some details. On the 6th of March, four other people uh, were arrested and charged with assisting an offender. Um, they were being accused of helping hide or dispose of Becky's body. And then many months later, on June 22nd, Shauna, who was originally just charged with perverting the course of justice, was charged with murder. Oh, Nathan and Shauna were also charged with conspiracy to kidnap, preventing the lawful burial of a body, and possession of an illegal weapon. So, God, what happened to Becky? Yeah. What made her stepbrother and, I guess, stepbrother's girlfriend kill her? Kill her. So, the murder trial began on October 6, 2015, at Bristol Crown Court. And this is when... More of the details of the confession and everything started being put together um, Mm. with the prosecution's uh, side. Becky was murdered the day before she was ever reported missing. So there on February 19th. That same day that So the last day that she was seen was the day she was murdered. Yes, was the same day she was murdered. And on that day, Nathan and Shauna went to Becky's home armed with a kidnapping kit. It included a mask, a couple of stun guns, handcuffs, tape black bags, and he just planned to kidnap the teenager. Yeah. Nathan stated that he just wanted to scare Becky. He said that she did not treat his mom very well. She left hazards around the house that his mom could trip on. Oh. And, you know, she could get really hurt. 
And okay. so he knew it seemed very drastic, but he wanted to teach her a lesson. Um, so he was going to kidnap her. To scare her. Uh, oh, don't do that. It was the prosecutor's case that Becky was suffocated in her bedroom during a sexually motivated kidnap plot carried out by Nathan and Shauna her, when, they, okay. when they were attempting to shove her into a suitcase. So... The sexually motivated... I mean, oh, I mean, that is our topic, I guess. Um, more details will but, come out about that. Okay. I so, guess I didn't... I didn't connect the topic to the case until just now. And I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So supposedly Nathan's story is that she, you know, he went in and was telling her, like, you know, be quiet. He handcuffs her and he's got something over her mouth or whatever. And she's not struggling too much. She's mostly listening to him. But once he tries to start shoving her into a suitcase, she's fighting back. She's wriggling around. She's kicking. She's, like, not wanting to go into a fucking suitcase. Yeah. And so he was trying some tactics, supposedly, to make her, like, a sleeper hold, I guess. Oh, Where you restrict air so the person falls asleep. So they pass out, but they're alive. Right. But he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. And again, this is his side of the story. He says he did the sleeper hold or whatever. She stopped moving. And so he finished shoving her in the suitcase. And then that's when he realized that she wasn't breathing. And that he had done something wrong. Oh, my God. Becky had suffered more than 40 injuries as she desperately was fighting for her life before she ended up being suffocated. So, at what point is he like, um, okay, this is too far. Well, and he even admitted to punching her in the face, but he said he only did it once because he didn't want it to be a violent act. What? I know, right? Oh. So, okay. I'm not really believing his yeah, no. side of this. So after the killing, Nathan and Shauna put Becky's body into the trunk of their car. They stayed at the house, which was the house of, you know, his mom, his stepdad, and, and Becky. Um, and I believe Becky had an older brother as well who had just turned 20, like, the day before uh, on the 18th. Oh, God. So they shove Becky into the suitcase, put the suitcase in the trunk. They hang out at the house for a few more hours. Other family members arrive home. They're just like hanging out. Later that day, they drive back to their own home. So Nathan and Shauna had their own house there in Bristol as well. Okay. And over the next few days, they dismembered Becky's body in their bathtub using a knife and a circular saw. Damn. They put her remains. They wrapped it in like saran wrap or some type of plastic put it in multiple different suitcases, and then hid those suitcases in a neighbor's shed. One more thing to note, forensic experts could not find any trace of Becky's blood in the bathroom, but they did find some of Nathan's blood in Becky's room. So this could mean the location that he said they dismembered the body was not the actual location. Maybe his story wasn't true. I mean, there's evidence against Nathan and Shauna, but... You can see now, like, why there were other people in the case that were um, being convicted for helping them. And it was for storing the bodies. Yeah. But just a little bit more into who are Nathan and Shauna and what would drive them to do something like this heinous to his stepsister. Yeah, I'm still not understanding. I, I don't get it. Yeah. So Nathan was a takeaway delivery driver. 
who was 28 years old, and he was the son of Angie Galsworthy. He was brought up by his grandmother, Margaret May, and her husband, Christopher. So he didn't really live with his mom. Again, I said his mom had multiple health issues, and potentially that was uh, one of the reasons. But he did suffer pain, depression, and anxiety from a very early age after being diagnosed with a rheumatic condition called fibromyalgia. And he was in a relationship with Shauna, who was a very quiet and hardworking girl who was 21 years old. She cared for his disabled mom, and this was their relationship at the time of Becky's death. Yeah. Shauna grew up in childcare before moving back in with her birth mom when she was a little bit older, a woman named Lisa Donovan, who had several other children. Yeah. So the two of them had difficult upbringings. Yeah. And when they were together, they were hiding such dark secrets behind what seemed like a very normal life as like a happy couple. She's helping him take care of his mom. They live together. Yeah. But they had this warped sexual obsession with petite teenagers and threesome sex sessions. And Uh I read a lot of articles about... When Shauna was talking to the police, um, there was actually an investigation discovery uh, special on this case, which I apologize, I don't remember what it's called right now, but I'm sure you could easily find it. Um, But they were saying how when someone's lying and finding pleasure and like lying to the police, you can see some of their, uh, she was giving like a tell. She, sometimes when you're like very pleased with something, you have an involuntary smile. So she had like a little smirk and you could tell she felt as if she was winning the police over. Like she's completely lying her ass off. In the three weeks before Becky's death, Nathan and Shauna had exchanged intimate text messages with one another about kidnapping girls, which did suggest, in addition to some of the content that was found in their home, that they had this shared unnatural interest in attractive teenage females. Yeah. So this is where this sexual motivation comes in. And it's like, their story and the evidence don't match up. Like Nathan's saying that he just wanted to teach her a lesson and that this was an accident. He had all the evidence and things in their home. He's saying he wants, you know, he's all, he's talking about kidnapping a pretty teenage girl. And how old was Becky? 16. 16. 16. Very petite. I do believe she had bouts of anorexia when she was younger. Becky did see a lot of professionals. And I do think, and, There's a lot of information that's come out recently about this that I did not dive into. But Becky was seen by a lot of professionals and didn't ever necessarily get the adequate help that she needed. However, it's hard to say if anyone could have done anything to prevent what happened to her because it wasn't... It It wasn't wasn't her. Yeah, it wasn't anything by her doing. And I know her father holds guilt of, you know, he didn't protect her from... The brother, but it it was at the time, Becky was the one that seemed to be having more of the issues and needing more yeah. of the help and not Nathan. Also, Nathan was 28 years old. He was an adult. He didn't live at home anymore. Well, he's like an adult adult. Yeah. It's not like he's 19 and he's an adult. He's no, like no, no. an adult. He's an adult. And so it's understandable that the dad's not focusing on, yeah. on him. He's focusing on Becky, who still lives at home. Yeah. But Nathan did admit to killing Becky. But he denied that he ever committed a murder. He insisted that it was manslaughter. And he um, admitted to that. He told the court he tried to kidnap his stepsister as a way of scaring her into changing the way he perceived as her bad behavior. But the plan went wrong and he accidentally killed her. Nathan told the jury how he closed his eyes as he dismembered her body with a circular saw. 
Oh, my God. He said he put Becky in a red suitcase to take back to his home before he offered a friend 10,000 pounds to store the items for him. What the fuck is he getting at 10,000 pounds? I don't even know. Despite all of this, during the dismemberment, they ordered takeaway, played a game of Monopoly, and laughed over a parody song from Frozen that was called Do You Want to Hide a Body? Yeah, uh, not really feeling the uh, the remorse and not having to hide his face from it. No. Nathan insisted that the killing took place while Shauna was in the garden and that she was not involved in any of it. Shauna also denied murder. She said she had no knowledge of the murder, played no part in it. And she did describe the text messages that she and Nathan had exchanged about kidnapping schoolgirls in the months before. And she said they're just unfortunate and sarcastic. Like, it's unfortunate that we said that, and then it looks like this, but no, we're just being sarcastic. Yeah, I'm not feeling that multiple um, conversations about kidnapping young schoolgirls, enough to build a profile and a history of that as sarcasm. Right. But then also, in the same way, he's actually planning on kidnapping. No, no. No. Well, and I don't know what were some of the items that were found in their home that helped support the sexual motivations for this crime, but yeah. okay. clearly it was something also to support that they were having threesomes and, and not that that's wrong, like do what you want, yeah. but when it comes to like underage. Um, do what you want with consenting adult. Exactly. Consenting adults, extremely important in this equation. Yeah. So the prosecution also relied on CCTV evidence of the moments of Nathan and Shauna on the day Becky was last seen alive. On the 19th of February, before they went to Crown Hill back to their home, they were seen at a Tesco supermarket buying batteries, which were allegedly needed for the stun guns, which they were going to use in the kidnapping. Footage from the day after Becky was killed showed Nathan buying the circular saw that was used to dismember her body. And between February 20th and 22nd, he and Shauna were, ca- were captured shopping for cleaning products, which was said they were, you know, were required to clean the bathroom yeah. where the body was dismembered. Yeah. Granted, some of these, like the batteries and the cleaning products, could be very circumstantial. Yeah, that could be just you're going to the store. The circular saw... In addition to these other things, yeah, I very much see how the prosecution yeah. was building a case with that. Oh um, yeah, CCTV out of context, evidence. any of that stuff is like okay, but it's the same way of like, oh, you know, a, a killer or something, someone, you know, a normal person buying black trash bags, whatever. Someone who is being convicted of killing someone with a black trash bag being seen buying them. Is very different. It is. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, and additionally, DNA linked both Nathan and Shauna to items that were found in the shed alongside Becky's remains. Yeah. And an expert was called to give evidence, and he said that, yes, it would have been easier to carry out the dismemberment if more than one person was involved. Mm-hmm. Which... Yes, I mean, of course it would be easier, yeah. but we have unfortunately talked about multiple cases where dismemberment occurred and one person was responsible for it. Yeah. So that I feel like is like a, yeah, duh, of course that would be easier with more than I one know, person. I know, I feel like most tasks are easier with more than one person, but... On November 11th, 2015, after only three hours and 27 minutes of deliberation, wow. the jury found Nathan guilty of murder and Shauna guilty of manslaughter. Two men, James Ireland and Donovan Demetrius, were cleared of assisting an offender, which was related to moving and storing of the containers with Becky's remains. Yeah. Donovan's brother, Carl, and his girlfriend, Jadine Parsons, who owned the shed where the remains were stored, they admitted 
the same charge at an earlier pretrial hearing, though they both insisted that they had no idea what was in the packages. They just said, sure, we will store your suitcases. Yeah. On February 5th, 2016, Carl was sentenced to two years imprisonment and Jadine was sentenced to 16 months. So they did have to do some time because they own the shed. Backing up to Nathan and Shauna, on November 13th, 2015, Mr. Justice Dingman sentenced Nathan to life in prison with a minimum term of 33 years and Shauna to 17 years in prison. And I know we've talked about this before. America Mm -hmm. gives so much harsher sentences. And what this sounds like to me is it's like life with a minimum of 30 years. So it's like he'll be eligible for whatever their... Parole Their version of is, parole, yeah. yeah. Which, to be Which fair, that sounds about pretty, the same. Yeah, seventeen years for manslaughter. It just it Maybe. depends on what I, I guess what flavor of manslaughter, or like this. I know because I mean, without like the trial notes and being there, it's hard to figure out how much the jury decided she was involved. Well, and from my research, mm-hmm. a lot of the evidence did point to Nathan, so yeah. I understand why she didn't get a murder charge. I don't think there yeah. was enough to convict her on a murder charge, but they knew she was involved in some way, yeah. which is why she got manslaughter. Yeah, that makes sense. In his sentencing remarks, the judge agreed with the prosecution's belief that the planned kidnap was for a sexual purpose, uh, telling Nathan that he had a fixation with having sex with petite teenagers and that he believed Shauna had been persuaded to participate in this fixation. Mm-hmm. So the judge very much was on par with this being a sexually motivated crime yeah. that Nathan And Shauna were involved in it together, but that Nathan was the ringleader. So this is, again, I said, it's a case that very much alerted the nation. Like, it was all over the headlines back in 2015. It was huge. And especially just because of the heinous, you know, sexual motivated crime of a family member. Yeah, see, I mean, unfortunately, when it comes to sexual assault and sex crimes... It often is a family member or... A lot of the times it is, which is so unfortunate. Yeah. And And just... So it's not surprise, But this is just so much more heinous and more... This might not be the right word, but like cinematic. Like it's... It's very... Mm -hmm. It it reads almost like a a crime novel. It does. It has a... When you think of... It does. Well, and that's absolutely the case because when I was doing research, it's like I could see this being a movie, you know, about a brother doing this to his sister, the dismemberment, the suitcases, the conning friends into letting him hide the bodies at the property. Like it is cinematic, I think, is a very good way to describe how this was planned out or unplanned. I I don't know. Whoever you believe. Yeah. It's, It's unfortunate, though, that these are the kind of cases of sexual violence that get all of the attention because yeah. there are so many more that aren't as um aren't as cinematic that yeah. are just as horrifying and i feel like if people associate you know these kind of sex crimes with this you know this antagonist and this brother in the plot the sex plot and diving into the crimes rather than sometimes it's an uncle or a cousin molesting Uh, a family member and you know that's not as eye-catching of a story but it's just as devastating Mm -hmm. and i think it It can very much take away the the idea of like oh well 
rapists are people who hide in dark alleys and are these criminals that'll get you at night when it's like, no, rapists are everyday people. Yep. And it, I, I think it, it can sometimes make that line harder to realize. And then you have people that are like, oh, that guy couldn't have been a rapist. He was so nice that one time. Or, you know, yeah, he's, he's such a good, he's got straight A's. And it's like, yeah, cool. That has nothing to do with this. Well, and also, like, taking even a step back, sexual violence is also something that's not consent. No. Like, if you don't have consent, you, you can't do it. Like, don't do yeah. it. If someone says, like, no means no. Yeah, I... No means it's no. A very sim- stop pushing. Stop trying mm-hmm. to convince. Stop being mm-hmm. like, oh, no, no, it'll be great. You want to do yeah. this. Like, no. I saw a very simplified analogy for consent, which, one, the fact that that needs to happen is a whole nother story. That because, is. Ugh. But it was comparing consent to uh, giving someone tea. You know, if someone says, no, they don't want tea, and you force them to drink tea, that's not okay. Obviously, that's fucked up. If someone, you know, says, yeah, I'll have tea, and then when you bring it aside, it's actually, no, I'm good. That's them withdrawing consent. Yeah. If someone is in the middle of drinking their tea, and is like, actually, I don't want this tea anymore. That's that's them withdrawing consent, and it just it had very many different that is a scenarios. very I I like that because it's very straightforward and it should be that easy. Yeah, like you wouldn't force someone to drink the tea. No, you would never be like, oh come on, like it'll be everyone else is drinking tea, or come on, I thought if if you loved me you'd drink tea, you know, like shit like that. Yep. No, or like you know, she was really drunk and didn't say no to the tea, so I gave her tea anyway. Yeah, that's. No. Yeah. So, so anyway, well, it's a it's a very simplified graphic of consent, but I think unfortunately there are a lot of people out there that don't really understand it. And I mean, there's so much teaching out there that's you know you teach you teach your your girls, your daughters, your sisters to you know okay you hold your keys in your hand when walking yeah. to the car you 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 know you don't drink too much you don't dress like this but you how much teaching of your boys and it's obviously this is getting very gendered specific because it does happen on all ways right men can be raped by women Gen- like gender isn't as specific in this but right most of the time yeah. men rape women yes and but you know the teaching of knowing what consent is and how vital it doesn't happen Yeah, anyway. So that was um, the very, very unfortunate case of Becky Watts. Yeah. And um, who is gone before her life even really truly began. 16 is so young. I feel like your life doesn't really begin until you're an adult and you're out on your own. Like it does and it It, doesn't. It does. You have your, like, you grow up and you have that part of your life. But I feel like when you get to be independent you know you more yeah you don't really know you until you're at a point where you have to because you're you're the only one you have yeah okay i guess i'll jump into my case yeah jump on in well i'm gonna open bottle two Uh, it's time for some more sauvignon blanc you know this one's different though this one's a villa maria also a new zealand sauvignon blanc from marlboro 2017 Ooh, it's a private bit yes and also guys don't forget that this was the episode where we did four different wines okay i don't think you could count those first two as wine um but i mean you could still count them as wines oh we didn't drink them but wait i gotta finish my last swig Oh, yeah. I'll pour mine off. 
Okay, I'm ready. Oh, wow. This one's a lot lighter. Whoa, it is. So I will say major props to you for getting me to like Sauvignon Blanc. Because I was dead set when we started this podcast that the only white I would drink is Chardonnay. You were also dead set you would never drink a Chardonnay. And I, you found one you liked. It's true. Okay. So um, do you want to go ahead and cheers and try yeah, this one? I guess, yeah. Ooh. It smells different than the one we just had. Oh, wow. Mm. Mm-hmm. That is more, that is not as citrusy. That no, is. That's more bright and like grassy it's grassy and which um, that's what i want in a sauvignon blanc that was good i mean the other one was really good too it just gave me more pinot grigio vibes it says crisp lime and ripe passion fruit enjoy with seafood and white meats you know what sounds really good right now something you would absolutely hate oh actually maybe not but some pad thai with prawns oh gross no Mm, god i love prawns in my pad thai you know what sounds better a good seafood paella. See, that doesn't sound good to me. Well, you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> so, with that little uh, wine and thinking about food break, um, I'm going to get into my case. Yes, tell me about your case. So, mine is the murder of Glenn Kopitsky. Why does that name sound familiar? I have no idea, because I had not heard of it until I found it hmm. and researched it. But the sources I used were Wikipedia... ABC News, The Journal Times, which sounds like a made-up newspaper, uh, (laughs) The Chippewa Herald, and NBC News. So, Glenn Kapitsky was a 37-year-old man who lived near his parents in Winnebago County, Wisconsin. Which, y'all, Wisconsin town names, I'm sorry, I, (laughs) I will pronounce them horribly. Because is it a lot of like Native American names and I'm not sure. Probably actually. Okay. That's yeah. yeah. And I will pronounce them with my I guess Oklahoma whatever. Anyway, yeah. sorry if I butcher a town that you are familiar with. So when he was a teenager, he was diagnosed with very severe bipolar disorder mm-hmm. and he needed to be close to his parents because of it. But he also required some independence. I mean, he wasn't at a point where he had to live with his parents through his adulthood, but he couldn't function completely independently in a new city or something like that. Okay, so he did just need to be near them. Yes. So an example of how severe his mental illness was, in 1996, Kopitsky, who, by the way, was receiving a monthly federal check due to his psychological disability... And also supported himself by working at Walmart and substitute teaching in New London, which is a town nearby. Mm -hmm. He took $500 and declared himself a candidate for the White House, even though he was five years too young at the time uh, to qualify for presidential candidate. And he even organized a meet and greet luncheon for the town citizens. Oh. Yeah. Like, it's... He's fairly severely affected by his his, uh, mental illnesses. It very much is impacting his life. So at the age of 37, he lived alone in Winnebago County in a fairly secluded house that was pretty far from any neighbors. Mm -hmm. It was still in a neighborhood, but I'm imagining very big yards, lots of trees, just, you know, a more rural type neighborhood. Yeah. And on July 31st of 2003, Kapitsky was murdered in his home. Oh, no. So Kapitsky had actually been dead for almost two days when his mom, (gasps) Shirley Kapitsky, drove to his house on Saturday, August 2nd. I hate 
the stories of parents finding yeah. their kids parents or, finding or their any kids or kids family fi- member yeah. finding people finding people yeah it's it, that that's close to them and that's not a stranger yeah so break my heart shirley was worried because she had not been able to reach her son by phone and that was unusual yeah I oh mean, yeah again he always lived very close to them was independent but not 100 percent so so very much still like relied on the relationship with his parents and so her not being able to reach him after was a big two deal. days that's yeah that's that was a big weird. deal um so she went to his house and discovered his naked body oh my god so Kapitsky's back door was locked, which is another thing that his mom said was very unusual for him. He always him. left it unlocked? He always left it unlocked. He didn't lock his back door. She also noticed that his car keys, which he always kept on the kitchen table, were missing. Okay. Was his car gone? No. His car was still there. But the, but the keys, keys were, were gone. gone. Yeah. Due to the intense August summer heat... And its effect on Kapitsky's body. The authorities initially thought that he died of natural causes because he was of so just decomposed. The rate of decomposition. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. It blows my mind sometimes, but not really because it makes sense. But how much the weather and mm-hmm. the temperature takes effect on the body's decomposition? Because yeah. you know we can find in some of the mountains of like the Himalayas or whatever, you can find bodies that are like 2000 years old that still have skin on them. Yeah. That you see and you're like, Oh, that could have, you know, maybe I should call in that. I found a murder victim or something. Yeah. Because it looks like a person. Yes. And then other places decomp can happen so fast due to the weather. When it's hot. Wisconsin. I mean, it's a Northern state, but in the summers, it's still, I think can get into above a hundred degrees. Fahrenheit, which really? is yeah, which is thirty-eight degrees Celsius for our non-Fahrenheit using listeners. Yeah, so it—I mean, it gets hot, and it's August. Yeah, no, August is one of those insanely hot months. I mean, for yeah. us, it is literally hell. It yeah, it's um, like one hundred and fifteen here, which is like forty something Celsius. It's a nightmare. You say but, that it did not get that hot this year, but it has. It got like one hundred and twelve. Yeah, it's yeah. hot. Yeah, <laughs> so. It actually took until Monday, August 5th, when a pathologist turned his body over and noticed liquefied brain matter leaking <gasps> out from a wound on the back of his head. Oh my god, that, was it a gunshot? Yeah, that was when the authorities realized he'd been shot to death. Five and, days later? Yeah. And also, that's when they realized that the marks that they saw on his chest and back, which looked like, you know, they, they could be scratches, they could just be marks, like it, due to the rate of decombat. They weren't really noteworthy at the time. Right. Um, those were actually post-mortem stab wounds. Whoa. Post? Okay. Yeah, so he'd been shot in the head and then stabbed. And then stabbed. Yeah. That sounds like a very aggressive kill. Yeah. So, very emotionally motivated and obviously sexually motivated from mm-hmm. whatever you're about to tell me. So the physical search in the murder scene didn't turn up any further evidence. However, during a canvas of the neighborhood... A neighbor claimed that a few nights earlier, he'd seen an older car with square headlights and rectangular taillights driving through the area and flashing a really bright light at three of the residents on the street. So just imagine the brightest flashlight you can imagine. Yeah. So he's like, no, I don't know. But we did see this earlier that was kind of weird, but I don't know if it's related kind of thing. That's it. That's all the evidence they have. So now I'm going to jump into... Gary Hurt. Okay. 
So Gary Hurt was a kid, he was born in 1986, and at the age of 17, he was an Eagle Scout, an all-conference football player, a straight-A student, and salutatorian of his graduating class. So he's like dream boy, like yeah, your he's ideal the, he's the student. high school king. Yep. Yeah. He, he had big plans for the future, and he just won a scholarship to St. Cloud State University in Minnesota, and he was planning on studying criminal justice. That so is quite interesting. Yeah. But he's just this fairly typical... From the suspicions I have at the moment. Yeah. He's just fairly typical golden boy. Like, it's just all-American Eagle Scout. So, two weeks after Kapitsky's murder, Hurt called his friend Eric Winslow and asked him if he knew about Kapitsky's murder. Two weeks earlier, so around the time of the murder, yeah. Winslow had been with Hurt, just, you know, driving around Winnebago County at night and shining a 500,000 candle power spotlight around. What? Why? I guess just because? Hurt called it shining for deer. So what the spotlight is used for is, I believe... um, Oh, is it like hunting and deer in headlights? Yeah. Okay. So they freeze and then you shoot them. Yes. Um, But they're just being teenagers dicking around, shining it at houses and stuff with this really big flashlight. Gotcha. That was mentioned by the neighbor earlier. Oh, yes. So during the call with Winslow, Hurt told him, I did it. He said he did it? Yeah. Winslow at first did not believe Hurt. He's like, okay, dude, just you be a teenager making up stories, wanting to sound cool, whatever. Was this like his friend? Yeah. Okay. So it's just friend. Like, so he's a teenager as well. Yeah. Same age. He's also 17 or so. Oh my God. Um, so after Winslow didn't. Sorry. I was, I mean, yeah, like. If I was 17 and my friend's like, oh, yeah, I killed that guy. I'd be like, why are you being such a clown? Stop. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, my God, me too. Or, what? you know, whatever. Yeah. Not um, actually believing that this is a freaking confession. So because Winslow didn't believe him, Hurt showed him the eight inch long hunting knife that he had used to stab Kapitsky in the back and chest and the keys that he had taken from Kapitsky's home. Hang on. So back to those wounds not being discovered until much later. Yeah. He used a gigantic hunting knife. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess it... I mean, that's it, a that's knife. That's a big knife. That's a knife. Yeah. But again, because of how... The decomp. The decomp rate oh was. Oh my the, gosh. Yeah. And because they were post-mortem, so... No blood and no, like... I, I mean, there's probably a, a little... Maybe... I don't even know with the decomp rate if you could tell. Right. The blood. Yeah. So... In August of 2003, backing up a little bit, not long after Kapitsky's murder, Hurt met Olivia Toma at the Wapaka County Fair, uh, where she was actually chosen as fairest of the fair. Okay. So they begin dating. Yeah. They're, you know, high school couple. He's the golden boy. She's fairest of the fair. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense that they would be a couple. Yeah. So over the course of their relationship, Hurt told Toma how he'd murdered Kapitsky. What the fuck, dude? Like, he just keeps telling people. He keeps telling people. And Toma at first didn't believe him and assumed he's, again, making up stories. But after he... I'm sorry, though, but she's dating this guy who's making up that kind of story. Why is she still dating him? Because he's Golden Boy? Yeah, I don't know. It also... I I think it depends on how he's presenting it. I mean, I have no idea. Yeah. But after he kept talking about it and revealing more details... She became convinced that Hurt was telling the truth. And in January of 2004, 
She told local police about her suspicions and provided details about the murder that mm-hmm. had not been reported to the media. Oh my god, so like, there you go. Yeah. There's your freaking huge red flag. Uh, yeah. So, Hurt had told her that he'd driven his father's car to Kapitsky's home and shot him in the back of the head with a 12-gauge shotgun. He then stabbed him twice in the back and once in the heart, which these were some of the details that weren't made available before. Yeah. We'll get into why, because it's a fucking doozy. Oh my god. Uh, So on January 28th of 2004, Toma agreed to engage Hurt in a phone call about the murder while the police listened and recorded what was said. So she's... Okay. She's gonna be the She's on the side of the police. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's on the side of the police, and she's gonna, I guess, get the evidence needed, get the confession. So during the phone call, Hurt told Toma that he'd killed Kapitsky just to see if he could get away with it. So I'm sorry if that's your reason. Why did you do it? Yeah, like that's not a reason. No. So I Hurt, am so mad at this guy right now. Oh, me too. Oh, and it gets worse. I am so it mad at this guy. It gets worse. So Hurt was arrested soon after this call. And his arrest shook up this tiny community. Uh, the mayor, who happened to be a close family friend of the Hurt family, yeah. said that this kid had everything going for him. He can do anything he sets his mind to. Like, for perspective, this is a tiny town of 1,800 people, and Hurt was the golden boy. Right. He was the city's first Eagle Scout in 20 years, and because of his sports achievements and stuff... The readers of the town's newspaper knew about all of his achievements and they, stuff. Yeah. They so knew he, this kid. People knew him. He was like the famous boy. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so, like his mom worked for the county. His dad, uh, I believe, worked for a foundry nearby. I mean, it's they're a well-known family because it's a small town community and everyone knows everyone. Have you ever stopped to think about how there are, well, yes, there are a lot of murderers that get caught and you're like, yep, not surprised, mm-hmm. figured. But there are also so many that get caught that you're like, oh my god, I would have never freaking imagined yeah. that they would do that. How the... No, that can't be right. Yeah. And this happens time and time again, which is you never truly know someone. No. We've talked about this. And it's like you never truly know someone. No. And no. it can be... Because, well, yes, you are one of the people that knows me better than anyone in the entire it's world. True. You still don't know everything. And vice versa. Yeah, no, and that's same. It's because there are also some things that even we ourselves don't know how we would react until we were in that moment. So how would someone else know how we would would react? Exactly. But anyway, it's just, it is very interesting to me how it's like, there are bad people who are bad and there are good people who are bad. Well, and it's also And I don't really know where I was going with that, but it's just, you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, it's one of those things that like, I feel like oftentimes... The idea of this killer who got away with it, whose, you know, co-workers and everyone didn't know, is this, like, smart, cunning genius, the Ted Bundy type. I know. I who, always think of Ted Bundy when I think of this type of topic. Yeah, I was picturing him in my head and, like, same. Anne Rule and how she was like, I never would have known. Like, yeah. I didn't. It was Ted. But it also, like, it doesn't take a genius or even like in this case it doesn't even take someone who's even hiding it that well he's literally telling anyone who asks him i know he really is he is not trying to hide it and no one believes him what he would have never and i'm like y'all and so because like obviously he's smart he was salutatorian but 
there's a difference between like I got good grades, I got a 4.0 in high school, and yeah. like the scary genius serial killer archetype that doesn't really exist. Except there's been a f- there's like been a few. There's the Unabomber, and everyone's like, ah, that's the serial killer. And I'm like, that is that is not true. There's so much more to a serial killer, which this is why I want to read that FBI paper yeah. I talked about at the beginning of the episode. No, that's fair because it's literally about all of this. So, after his arrest on January of 2004, you know, originally he had confessed to he wanted to see if he'd get away with it. Yeah. He would confess to a very different motive. On August 30th of 2004, Hurt was charged with first-degree murder, and he was held in the Winnebago County Jail on a $400,000 bond. That's a lot. And his initial plea was not guilty. So, police alleged, based mostly on Hurt's recorded comments to Toma, that... On the night of Kapitsky's murder, Hurt parked his car at the end of the dead-end road and retrieved a 12-gauge shotgun from the trunk of his car. Kapitsky was asleep, but most likely woke up and got out of bed after Hurt entered his house. Yes. Upon seeing Hurt and his shotgun, Kapitsky pleaded with Hurt not to shoot him. Hurt then ordered Kapitsky to lie down on the floor. Forensic tests showed that Hurt then pressed the muzzle of the shotgun to the back of Kapitsky's head and fired. So I'm confused because they turned him over. And, and again, I get your answer is probably decomposition. But when you think shotgun, skin contact, back of the head, how does he still have a face? The Well, the, they turned him over and his brain fell out. So right. when they found him, he's lying on his face because, you know. Oh, he was pl- lying on his face. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm I'm sorry. I thought he was on his back. And that's why I was so confused. No. Because I was like, wait, what? How was there no damage to the front of his face? Yeah. If yeah, because Now en- I understand. Entry Small wounds, entry wound, big exit you know, wound. Entry yes. wounds in general don't usually make that big of a hole. No, no, no. Exit wounds are the ones that tear and destroy because with an exit wound it's not only the bullet coming out it's all the kinetic energy that was in it because it's the bone muscle the tissue just everything coming with it right it's just tearing your body apart as it exits yes so it's not surprising that because of the decomposition again they wouldn't have necessarily they wouldn't have seen seen the entry wound but then when turning them up yeah it horrifying got it so, after shooting him, Hurt then stabbed Kapitsky twice. The second time, the knife plunged in so deep that Hurt had to use both hands to pull it out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And That's be- way too much force. Yeah. And before leaving, Hurt spotted Kapitsky's keys on the table and grabbed him, slipped him in his pocket. Just as a token? As his little trophy, I guess. Oh my god. So, Winnebago County Sheriff's Captain Steve Verwell said that evidence suggests that Hurt sought the victim out and stalked him and planned out the event and then killed him. He said it doesn't appear that Hurt knew Kapitsky personally or at all. He just picked someone. I'm waiting and, to see how our topic comes into play. Yeah, it's literally right about to. Okay. Um, And I'm going to get real fired up. So Hurt would later change his plea to not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. And on January 31st of 2005, Hurt's attorney said that Hurt had homosexual urges that intensified when he drank alcohol. Oh, he used the gay panic defense. 
which I'll go into what that is. I know y'all um, can't see the look on my face, but it just like I my teeth are grinding. I'm so yeah. mad because this is we've addressed this before as the fact yeah. that this is not real. Yeah. And it's so fucked up. Yeah. So just I'll explain these specifics and then go into in general okay. what it is. So these urges led to a sexual encounter between Hurt and Kapitsky, after which Hurt's rage over the encounter led him to return to Kapitsky's house and kill him. His attorney said that Hurt could not explain the murder for months until a forensic report suggested a possible sexual element to the crime. Hurt then broke down and told the story of what he said happened between him and Kapitsky. Which, ugh. So his attorney told the jury regarding Hurt that one of the torments he had is he didn't understand his own sexuality. Which, so in general... The gay panic defense is something that was more widely used in the past, although I'm I'm fairly sure it's not legally a defense anymore across the U.S., uh, but not that long ago that it was used. Well, because this is 04, right? Yeah. And um, I guess this is 05 when the trial's happening, January 05. Right, right. But um, so the gay panic defense in general is the idea of a straight person, straight man, usually being approached by a gay person and maybe them hitting on him, making sexual advances, and being so disgusted or so angry that you enter this kind of psychosis and murder them because, no. you know, you have the gay panic. And it no. got people off. They'd be like, oh, <laughs> A queer hit on you. Makes sense why you killed him. No. This makes me so mad I can't even. Oh, yeah. And it's been used a lot in um, more modern times with trans people. You know, maybe they're a couple or maybe it's a sex worker. This was a thing. Or what did I watch? I told you about something. It was on Netflix. I don't know. Okay. This is going to drive me crazy. But there's one... And it's absolutely the fear and the yeah yeah and oh it was horrible they they like murdered her because of this and and it's I mean it's usually and not always but usually a straight man discovering that um, his partner is trans and you know maybe their genitals aren't um, they they haven't had bottom surgery or or even just learning that. They are trans and going into a blind psychosis rage and murdering their partner or this person and getting away with it. It It's so fucked up and it infuriates me. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's ridiculous and I just don't understand it. No. Um, no. I did, however, because I really, this was a documentary I watched on Netflix that was so powerful and I really recommend it to people. It's The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. Oh, she she started Stonewall. She basically threw the first brick at Stonewall. She's a gay icon. Oh, she absolutely is. So for those of y'all that don't know, Stonewall is really, um, it's often seen as the kind of powder keg moment of the gay rights movement of the 60s and 70s in the United States. So the Stonewall was a bar in New York that was a renowned, it was a gay bar. Like mm-hmm. it, and it was one of the places where gay people and trans people, people that felt like outsiders, could go and feel accepted. They had drag shows. I mean, it was a very inclusive environment. 
and it was raided by police because they wanted to clear out the gays. Yes. And it became, like, uh, there were protests and riots against this hate and this police targeting of gay and trans men and women. And it really kicked off, I mean, gay rights protests across the country. Um, It kind of started the wave of laws that protected and validated gay lesbian and trans individuals across the nation obviously this is still a movement that is happening today absolutely stonewall is like seen as the starting point and marsha p johnson is probably the most influential person in that because yeah I, i don't know if she actually threw a brick or if it's just how it said but she threw the first brick at stonewall she was the first one to fight back and organize the community against these atrocities well in the documentary it talks about the community she built the Mm -hmm. people who love and adore her while she was living and even after her death Mm -hmm. as you know because like you're saying like her existence was so important and i really recommend this documentary it (sighs) broke my heart um i cried multiple times throughout it and it's just about the defense of uh, her murder and i didn't know she was murdered actually god well and it's still currently being investigated as a homicide it's and that's what the documentary goes into and about the defense of it being a murder and the people you get to meet in this documentary it will break your heart because you will fall in love with them and you will hurt for them in the things that happen so if you if you haven't watched it I highly recommend it. I believe yeah. it's still available on Netflix. I think it is a Netflix original. Ty, I know you haven't watched it. You I haven't watched to. it. I want to. So um, first off, one thing I want to say is there was a movie that came out, I think, last year, year before, called Stonewall about it. So I believe it's Roland Emmerich. It's trash. Don't watch it. It's very, it focuses on like pretty white men saving the day, like all those kind of movies. Y'all, um, no. a black trans woman kicked off the gay rights movement in America. That is the person you have to thank. Yes. For. um, Thank you, Marsha. Thank you, Marsha. And also, and this is off topic and I'll get back in, but it's so interesting. And I I didn't realize it because I'm a young gay man. I was born in 93. You are young. And so my view of gay culture is very different. Oh, of course. But But... there have been a couple people I've talked to that are older and have been in the gay community for a lot longer. Mm -hmm. And it's so different because the, the, the movement of my life in the gay community is the fight for marriage. Yes. That, that That has absolutely been it. But at least thus far. Yeah. But to talk to people that are in their 60s and 50s and stuff who lived through fighting to be able to get a house, Mm -hmm. fighting to be able to keep a job, which in many states is still completely legal to fire someone over their sexuality, and in most states is legal to fire someone uh, for their gender identity, and it... Makes me sick. Yeah, and then to, to hear people tell stories about gay culture during the AIDS crisis of the 80s and how they would lose friends every week. They'd have a funeral to go to once or twice a week for years. Yeah. And it, God, it's something that if you are a gay youth or interested in gay culture, just wanting to learn more about the history of it, and, you know, you know, so talk to people because it's, 
it's something that yes. is being forgotten. I worry. Anyways. <laughs> but I mean, more to that, like, please reach out. It, yes. If you have questions or curiosities or just want to talk to someone, mm-hmm. find someone. Find, find someone. Um, I mean, there are opportunities out there. Mm-hmm. Um, for, you know, well, and I know for those that are adults, there are things like talk space. If Mm -hmm. you don't want to physically sit in a room with someone, I know that Mm -hmm. can be very uncomfortable. If you'd Mm -hmm. rather text them, you Mm -hmm. can, you can literally text a therapist and you don't even have to talk to them. They don't Mm -hmm. have to hear your voice. You can email, you can text, Mm -hmm. you can have that conversation that way. Um, and for minors, I mean, well, and if it's more severe, even if you don't think it's more severe, but there are also crisis lines you can text, suicide hotline lines you can call you can text um the trevor project has great resources for adults and youths and just i mean y'all there are people out there who want to talk to you and want to help and are there for you yeah and so don't ever feel like you're alone and that there's no one to talk to and i know i know that is easier said than done but just know that there are people out there who want to help and who just want to support you and love you Absolutely. That's it's a weird transition back into my case, but I'm gonna it do is, it. It is, but <laughs> but it's an important. It's, it's so important. important to know. Yeah, it's so important. It is important. Fucking 2019, be the year of loving yourself and others. Dear God, we need that. 2019 needs to be the year of love. <laughs> it absolutely does. Yeah. And we're actually recording this on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We are. And so this is a very, very positive theme for this episode to show love, not show hate, show respect, show support. Um, yes. Just love your fellow man yeah. and woman. So jumping back in, um, Hurt's new story was that hours before the murder... He had been sitting on top of his car, underneath a bridge, drinking vodka and listening to Nirvana. So he finished... Hey, I like Nirvana. No, that's fine. Just this kind of kid who... It sounds so... You know, yeah. Nirvana's a fine band. Though, no, but, I'm... But like this, I'm like, of course you were listening I'm, to Nirvana. I'm agreeing. Yeah. I'm agreeing okay, with you. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, so he'd finished six malt liquors... Which, ew. I, yeah. Were they like I, 40s? That's gross. I don't know. When I think malt liquor, weirdly, I think Smirnoff Ice. I don't think it's actually a malt liquor. I don't really know exactly what a malt liquor is because I never drink them. Yeah, no. I think <laughs> of um, a shake and you add malt into it That's and it's like a malt. not what that is, but that sounds great. Anyway, and 15 <laughs> shots of vodka. Holy shit. I know. That is some like Sandra Lee level of drinking. Two shots of <laughs> Two vodka. Two shots of vodka. Um anyway. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, so I I don't to me, fifteen shots of vodka, I'm like, that just sounds like alcohol poisoning. I don't that that to me is one of the first things that I'm like, I don't really great he's a big guy he's like six four 270 pounds like he's football like but oh. still 15 shots of vodka and six malt liquors no, like that's that, a lot i'm like dude I, I don't that to me sounds like the kind of braggy bro drinking we're like ah oh, i had three bottles of vodka and i'm like you would be dead or that's a not how... serious cry for help yeah so he had had his six malt liquors and 15 shots of vodka when Kapitsky drove up in his car, um, drove up next to him under the bridge. Um, Hurt said that Kapitsky flirted with him and the two agreed to return to Kapitsky's house where Hurt performed consensual oral sex on Kapitsky. That's it? 
Uh, I know. I'm like, oh, a blowjob. Come on. Like, but literally, that's <laughs> it? Yeah. So, Hurt testified that afterward, he returned to his car and fell asleep. And when he woke up, he was sober and enraged about having had sex with another man. Hurt said that he felt just grossed out beyond belief, disappointed at the proof of my imperfection that I had done these things. Oh, he has such a god complex. Um, it- I have so many thoughts right now because I'm like, if you literally had 15 shots of vodka and six malt liquors, yeah. how are you remembering shit? Uh, yeah. Also... Don't drive home. But, it, like, yeah, no. There's, like, a thousand things going through my mind. <sighs> he said that he believed a homosexual act was not as bad as raping or torturing someone, but was worse than murder. Which is a very weird moral compass to have. It, even just taking out the, like, gay stuff is somewhere on this, because that's stupid. But, the like, raping and torturing is above murder. I'm like, I, I don't even know how to respond. Yeah. So, John Lacone, who was an expert witness for the defense, said that Hurt was in the middle of a psychotic, depressive reaction, though he actually had no history of mental problems. Um, And the assistant district attorney emphasized that the sexual encounter did not come up until trial, and she asked Lacone during cross-examination if Hurt would rather have had his parents believe he was a cold-blooded killer or homosexual. And Lacone answered that it would be very difficult for a teenager in a religious family to admit homosexual feelings or activities. But they can admit being a murderer. Apparently. Side note, it is very difficult. Um, it, it, you know, I'm thinking it, not as hard as being like, I hey, think, I killed someone. Yeah. I really feel like there is a huge difference yeah. in the two of those. Uh, yeah. I mean, yes. Both? Coming out in a religious family... It's very difficult. It's difficult. Um, I imagine coming out even in a non-religious family is very difficult. But coming out is difficult. As yeah, but yeah. Um, what? I honestly, dear God, I cannot imagine a parent rather their child be a murderer than gay because they need they need to talk to someone themselves. Yes, but yeah. So Hurt's parents believed their son's story about a sexual encounter with Kapitsky mm-hmm. and that he would have been willing to risk life imprisonment to keep that secret to himself. <laughs> His parents said later that there was no way the sexual encounter that Hurt was talking about had happened. So, what? you know, at first they were like, it probably did. He doesn't tell lies and I believe he would risk imprisonment. And they were like, no, no, that wouldn't have happened. Not our son. Again, not refuting that he's a murderer that that's what it's, gets me about yeah, this the is incident that, like, is what they're caught up on yeah not and I, i'm sorry let me rephrase that i do not want to call it an incident yeah it's not the word i want to use the sexual encounter the sexual encounter the, the sexual moment Woo! that they had i know i'm also like it's a blow job get over yourself right. <laughs> like come on but I hate that that's what they're fixating on and not the like, oh, and he killed a kid. Yeah, the fact that half of... That he killed a classmate. Well, he killed a substitute teacher. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot he was older. That he killed... That's just... It's horrible. I know. So, District Attorney Bill Lennon stated that he doubted this sexual encounter even happened and said that there was no forensic evidence that suggested a sexual encounter. Which I'm like, well, I if don't, it was days, like if it was, I know, I'm like, I don't know if you would have been able to like 
find saliva DNA or like if he shout. So I don't know. If, yeah. Like if you could find evidence of it, but either way, I'm like, okay. Well, and this kind of ties back to the theory that I mentioned earlier that police investigators had that Hurt was stalking and following Kapitsky and like planning this murder. He'd yeah. chosen Kapitsky as a victim. That he wanted to murder him and that potentially the act didn't happen. That he was just using yeah. that as a, this is why I did it because yeah. I was so tortured with what happened. Yeah. And- <laughs> oh my God. Had my dick in my mouth. So sad. Or I guess had a dick in my mouth. Whatever. So February 4th of 2005, the jury rejected Hurt's insanity plea. Good. Which resulted in a life sentence for Hurt. Good. Hurt was later quoted as saying that he can't feel guilty for killing a man in disgust after a homosexual encounter. So he's trash. I mean, he's... obviously he was trash, all... but yeah. Well, he is where he deserves to be. Yep. He said, there's no reason I should be held accountable for this. That's just the way I feel. I can't change that. Which, fuck that argument for a lot of reasons. Yep. I don't give a shit. Uh... I hate to break it to you if you're like, that's how I feel. Feelings uh, change. It's yes. called, you know, you Maturity. gain a better perspective. You mature. You Like, you know, the thoughts I had five years ago are not the thoughts I have now. So no. you absolutely can and should feel guilty. And you can change that. You're just trash. Um, so Hurt could be eligible for parole after 32 years. But with time served, Hurt will be at least 50 before he could even have the opportunity to leave prison. Yeah. And on November 1st of 2006, the Second District Court of Appeals issued an order that no grounds existed to appeal the conviction and upheld the life prison sentence for Gary Hurt. So. Well, I'm glad it was upheld. Yep. Fuckers in prison. Um. I know. You need to drink up. You I do. I know. Have I have like most of a super glass full glass. Um, and um, yeah. Well, these were two very intense cases. Uh, yes, they were. Um, they, let's yeah, post mortem. Post mortem time. Um, you go first. I feel like I always jump in and talk, and I just well, talk so fucking much. I feel like these were both really intense, and it's very difficult to choose. This is difficult, and I feel like. Literally, like we said last episode, it's becoming more and more difficult to choose yeah. the more intense case. I know, because um, this one... I will say, though, mine did involve dismemberment of a family member. I know. And I know I have a more personal connection to mine. Um, well, and I have and a more personal of connection outrage. to yours, too. But, yeah, I think, I think just also... The fact that she was 16. I know. And it was it was a member of her family that, from what it sounds like, she trusted. So, yeah. No, I, I'll agree to that. I think you should pick next week's wine. I will. I will pick next week's topic. Yes. Yeah. This was super intense. Yes, it was. Okay. Well, y'all, thank you for listening. And don't yes, forget thank to... thank you so much. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Yes. Uh, let us know what you're thinking. Give us a rating. We would love to hear like a like a word, like we comment go, you know, rating. Um, to let, let us know, know what you what like. Let us know what you think. If there's um, anything you want to hear more of. Um, I mean, yeah. Seriously. Like and follow us on social. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Check out our website. And while you're there, check out our store with our merch. New merch. Um. 
And I mean, y'all, we'll we'll be posting a picture soon of us modeling our merch. Yes. Um, I'm just let you know my phone takes great modeling photos. It so. does. And also, when you get yours, send us pics. We will absolutely, absolutely feature you on our social. Yes. We can tag you if you would like. Just let us know. But blood and wine podcast at gmail.com. Send those photos over. Um, we hope you love it. We're yes. so excited. The products are awesome. They're so good. And we, we are and so we excited also, for y'all to love them too. Yes. And we tried to pick a variety for those who maybe are not mm. interested in the wearables and maybe you want like yeah. a toad or the water bottle. That water oh. bottle. I, I haven't. So I don't bad. have one yet. See, I just, we just have an some OU of the water bottle. Yeah, we just have some of the wearables, and so I know. And let I us need... know if there are some other things that you would love to see. Different styles. Let us know. We're in contact with vendors. Or, yeah. yeah. So let us know, and I am so excited. Yeah, y'all. Yeah. All so, right. anyways, well, thank you so much for listening. Yes. We love you to the deepest, deepest bottom pits of our heart. Yes. And uh, this is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye. 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 We also did this backwards.